This week, calculating the real cost of the electric vehicle and how indigenous people are being asked to give up our land for the mining of copper, cobalt, and lithium. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 206. Thanks for your support via patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters or email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Last week we mentioned exploration for copper, cobalt, zinc, silver, and gold in my home Mi'kmaq community of York Harbor, Newfoundland, and Labrador. BC-based Phoenix Gold Resources is the proponent. Newfoundland-based Grassroots Prospecting is looking after the diamond drilling. Eleven drills are expected on site in the spring. In the meantime, the old folks' home has been converted into a man camp. As is usually the case, there is mixed opinion about the project. Some look forward to the jobs. Others worry about the impact on the environment in an area popular with hikers and cottagers. What's happening in York Harbor is a small slice of what's going down across the continent. Indigenous territory from Nevada to Ontario to Newfoundland is under assault because it contains the minerals needed for electric vehicles, lithium batteries, and the rest of the decarbonization toolbox. In the U.S., 80% of domestic sources of lithium are on Indigenous territory. There, as in Ontario, governments and natural resource companies feel they should be allowed to start mining now and sort out the environmental issues later. How do we calculate the true environmental pros and cons of the electric vehicle and what goes into them? Is it only about carbon emissions? How do we calculate the cost of destroying the very lands central to Indigenous tradition and identity? Our guest this week is someone who works with Indigenous people in the U.S. and has been thinking about these very questions. Jennifer Dunn is Associate Professor of Chemical and Biological Engineering at Northwestern University. And we're joined by Jennifer Dunn, a faculty member in the School of Engineering at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. And Jennifer, uh, I don't know if people in Evanston like to be called a suburb of Chicago, but for uh, people who don't know, it's uh, near Chicago, at least on uh, the shores of Lake Michigan and traditional territory of the Ojibwe people, among other indigenous people. We're going to talk about uh, the electric vehicle and the copper and cobalt angle, but uh, let's uh, introduce you to our listeners um, a little bit uh, by uh, telling them a bit about your work at the Northwestern Center for Native American and Indigenous Research. You're the faculty uh, rep on that at that center, and you're doing work with the Ojibwe on uh, using traditional Ojibwe knowledge and uh, more um, what we might call as Western science, uh, engineering, uh, data gathering. Tell us a little bit about uh, your work there. 
Yes, so I'm, I'm a faculty affiliate at the Center for Native American and Indigenous Research at Northwestern, and it's been a really fascinating experience to connect uh, with Ojibwe communities, primarily in northern Wisconsin, and really learn from them what their concerns are about the uh, health of the environment, and then to think together about how we can combine, as you said, what might be called Western science in terms of putting sensors in rivers or uh, doing engineering calculations of how a certain um, flooding event might unfold, how we can pair those types of uh, science and engineering concepts with the traditional ethnological knowledge of these communities and therefore make the um, ability of these communities to sort of manage these environmental challenges more robustly. Um, and so it's, it's been a really wonderful process. Uh, we were hoping to make it up there to visit um, those we've been speaking with, but because of the pandemic, we have yet to visit their community. We don't want to um, to bring any anything their way. Um, but in the future, certainly hoping to to visit those communities and uh, deploy a lot of the ideas that we've generated through our conversations so far. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is, a, I think, a really good segue into our topic today: uh, the electric vehicle, and particularly. Um, copper and cobalt and uh, the the impact of, uh, of mining uh, for materials for these electric vehicles. And I guess uh, your work with, with, uh, with the Ojibwe uh, tells us that you can't, oh, the, you had to be careful in assessing impact because it's not all measurable in, um, in percentages. We have to take a, uh, an environmental ecological view when we're when we're measuring impact uh so it, it gives us a better account than just relying on western science i guess yes it's, it's very true um those sort of the way i got into to thinking about this you know i'm a chemical engineer so i'm very care, uh, comfortable with measuring things putting in a flow meter or putting in something to measure electricity consumption like you can you know do at your house if you want to see how much electricity your microwave consumes, you can attach one of those devices that measures the flow rate of electricity to your, to your device. So those are all things I'm very comfortable with. And for most of my career, I've used methods like that to quantify the environmental effects of different technologies, including, including the thium-ion batteries. So um, maybe about 10 years ago now, I was doing things like looking at how much uh, the amount of greenhouse gases that are emitted per battery that is manufactured. Um, but as I dug more and more into those uh, sort of the supply chains of what we need to make a battery, it became apparent to me that uh, there are effects that we can't measure with my traditional engineering ways. Um, and it was uh, really starting to, to concern me um, that we as a society, you know, here in the U.S., also in Europe and other places, Canada too, uh, we're setting decarbonization goals and we're saying electrification including of the transportation sector. So using electric vehicles is like the way to go. So we need to do this to decarbonize. And I don't disagree with that. However, I think we need to take a full accounting of what doing that will entail. And a lot of that comes down to the metals that we're going to need, copper, cobalt, and also lithium. Yes. So um, I was thinking about this for quite some time. And in uh, the late 2010s, I met an anthropologist named Sarah Young here at Northwestern, who's also a faculty affiliate of, the, of CNAIR, our Native American Indigenous Research Center. Um, so she, being an anthropologist, um, is familiar with these methods of 
quantifying social effects of, of different things. She's actually worked in mining in the past, but not so much mining uh, motivated by recovering metals for electric vehicle batteries. So working together, we started to explore this space. And um, to me, you know, when you read about cobalt, you read about the Democratic Republic of the Congo and the artisanal mining, like mining by hand that goes on there. And that's some pretty dramatic um, social effects that stem from, from mining. And my sort of concern is that we can't put those effects on a graph, like I can graph my greenhouse gas emissions results. So working with Sarah, um, we, we thought about different uh, ways to maybe get to more sort of numbers-based assessments of social effects, um, such that in terms of a policymaker who's deciding we're gonna go down this electrification route, let's put not just the greenhouse gas numbers in front of them to make decisions, but also the social effect numbers. And it's not that we shouldn't pursue decarbonization because we all know we need to cut greenhouse gas emissions, but how can we pursue decarbonization uh, in a way that's socially responsible, especially thinking about our metal supply chains? Mm-hmm. So that was the work that Sarah and I have worked on. So, and um, of course, with the electric vehicle, I, I think it's uh, we have the impression that we could go on as now is just we'll be driving electric vehicles rather than internal combustion uh, engine vehicles. So uh, it's, uh, I think we've looked at it uh, as somewhat of a, of a panacea. But um, I suppose we'll, we'll note uh, at the outset that electricity comes from many sources. So the electric vehicle is uh, using uh, coal-fired uh, electricity. That's, uh, that's one thing. So uh, we note that. But I suppose more to the point uh, here, uh, we want to look at uh, copper and carbon, uh, and the mining of that, and um, and uh, what um, and the material footprint, as the literature says, the the true environmental impact of um, of getting these materials for the electric vehicle, and um, I guess we need to look at both the vehicle itself and the battery. Um, there's uh, uh, those are distinct issues. Uh, and um, can you tell us what about the vehicle itself uh, we should look at when we're sort of measuring um, material footprint? Well, for, for the, from the vehicle perspective, when we think about the entire vehicle, um, the battery is really the main point of difference between an internal combustion engine uh, car that runs on gas and, uh, and an EV. So it really does most of the difference in terms of energy consumption and greenhouse gas emissions for making that vehicle itself, really, it really does come down to that battery. And I don't know if it helps to have numbers, but um, we run some numbers uh, using a model from Argonne National Lab. Um, a gasoline vehicle to make a car to use gasoline, it's about 0.55 megajoules per mile um, to, to produce that vehicle um, but for an electric vehicle, that's 0.85 megajoules per mile. So you know, there's, a, there's a difference there. And it's, it's notable, but the, there is a, a relatively rapid payoff time in terms of over the life of the vehicle, the energy you save and the emissions you save through using a, uh, an EV, it does pay off pretty quickly, like usually within a year or two. Um, so again, this is why it's so hard to capture those social effects um, in a number like this, because it just masks anything that the people involved in these mining communities are experiencing. Yeah, so how do we measure the uh, 
the front end environmental costs. So we're thinking about uh, York Harbor, Newfoundland, where I'm from, we would see that uh, roads are being built uh, into the uh, mining site. There will be uh, diamond drilling. Uh, I presume a lot of diesel in the, uh, the engines for those uh, machines. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be uh, uh, environmental impact in terms of uh, trees being cut down, uh, habitat uh, being disturbed. So is there, is there a metric to capture those uh, front-end costs of the electric vehicle? So I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of the global warming potential, and that tends to think about emissions over the course of, of kind of making something and using it and then throwing it away. But what you're talking about right now is sort of getting ready to make something, building the roads, cutting down the trees and laying the, the groundwork for the initial mining. Um, that can be measured by something called the technology warming potential, which acknowledges that you don't just get to snap your fingers and have everything ready to go. Um, there's some, some cost in terms of GHG emissions that you're going to incur to get ready to be at, at a point. So um, this is really important. And, and another area that I work in is, is bioenergy. And we spend a lot of time in the bioenergy side of the house thinking about the carbon cycle associated with trees. But for bioenergy, you usually regrow the trees in some fashion. Um, but in this instance, you know, it's unlikely the trees would be regrown. They're not there to be used as a source of energy or a crop. They're in the way of the mining. So that's a carbon debt that would, would not be repaid um, through, through new growth. So that's a pretty interesting um, sort of linkage there. But you can take that into account. But I would, I would say that because currently um, these metals are, are mined from kind of existing mines, that's not really been talked about very much. Hmm. So we have the so we have these funding costs, and we have the um, the uh, the battery that you've talked about. What happens after these vehicles? Uh, I don't know what the life uh, expectancy is of, of an electric vehicle. I suppose it might be ten years or fifteen years uh, max, probably like a traditional vehicle. Uh, what happens uh, to the vehicle itself and the batteries after the after it's uh, no longer uh, uh, working? So, um, the, unfortunately, the infrastructure to recycle batteries from electric vehicles is uh, in the baby stages. Um, in Europe, there's a company that will take batteries and smelt them. Um, And through that process, they can recover uh, cobalt, copper, nickel, but not the lithium. It goes into a slag and it's just not cost effective to recover the lithium. Um, There are also processes, including uh, one run by a company in British Columbia, um, that takes more of a chemical approach to recovering uh, the components of these batteries. But we're talking about like two or three facilities like this on this continent um, and so if we're going to talking about like ramping up the use of EVs um, and also in energy storage, if we're going to rely more on renewables, we also need batteries in the grid. So we're, we're talking about um, energy storage, both in the grid and in our vehicles. That's a lot of metals uh, that will be in these, these various energy storage devices. And without an infrastructure or in the U.S., at least we don't have a requirement uh, for their recycling, it's very possible we're going to be saying goodbye to these metals when we really shouldn't be. We should be um, pulling them back out. Now, there's a lot of research going on in in battery recycling. There's a research center at Argonne National Laboratory in partnership with a couple of other national labs, and they're working very hard to develop these recycling technologies. 
but in my mind, this should be being pursued very aggressively with multiple research centers. Um, it's a really big, a really big problem, um, and we need to basically invest a lot more in, in solving it. In my opinion. Hmm. So looking forward, uh, we're going to need a lot of copper, a lot of cobalt, and a lot of other um, minerals to make these electric vehicles. And of course, we need to find these new supplies. So um, as is often the case, the metal, the, the copper and the cobalt in the United States is on uh, indigenous territory. Uh, the same is uh, in true in Canada. Um, so there'll, there'll be pressure. There'll be a lot of pressure um, on these, uh, the people and these lands to uh, give it up for this copper. I think we can expect that because of the, uh, the reliance we're putting on the, the electric vehicle f- to avoid, uh, to deal with climate change. I mean, I think one sort of compelling statistic um, is from the International Energy Agency saying that if, if we are going to try to hit the Paris Accord and uh, pursue electrification on that scale, this will require a quadrupling of mineral requirements. So demand for lithium and cobalt uh, will grow in that period next uh, by 2040 by over uh, 40 times for lithium and 20 times for cobalt. So, you know, it's pretty clear we need to add more input into that demand. So we have our existing mines, we need to be improving our ability to recycle, but there, you know, it's very possible that more mines will be built, as you are saying. And I am still uh, educating myself more on this point, but definitely there is interest in um, expanding upon existing lithium mining in Nevada, for example. Um, And there are other areas of the nation, as you're saying, which uh, the mines reside on indigenous land. And there's already been, you know, confrontations about this. Um, And so I think you know, it's, it's a very concerning um, aspect of this uh, development. And again, you know, as I mentioned, my initial work really focused on, on Africa because back uh, 10, eight years ago, I, I wasn't as aware of some of the more domestic issues around mining, um, but this is all going to come home to us. And it's important, as, as we've been saying, to take this, this uh, holistic perspective around basically cost environment, but also social effects. Jennifer Dunn is Associate Professor of Chemical and Biological Engineering at Northwestern University. And that's it for the program. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. Allison Baker is the producer of Big Mom Matters. Rachel Dial is our researcher. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsit Nokaman. No